0: Welcome to Earth News Interviews, the podcast where we sit down with the experts and discuss the biggest questions and discoveries in the earth sciences today. Earth News Interviews is brought to you by the Department of Earth Sciences at U of T. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Earth News Interviews. We're joined today with my co-host, Dean. Hi, everyone. And our special guest today is Professor Oz Ghosh, and he's actually our first guest that's not from a Canadian university. Specifically, he's from Istanbul Technical University, so he's coming to us live all the way from Turkey. So welcome to the podcast, Oz.
1: Thank you, hello. What is it that interests you about plate tectonics in particular, or, or the theory? Is it, is it just from your region as being really really uh, special and active in the, that topic?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I get that question here and there from different people, especially students here and and students like yourself in other countries. Uh, and I think the point that you made is important, Dean, because yes, I mean, unlike Canada, we are living in a very unstable part of the earth in terms of geology. In terms of other things, there is some instabilities too. I, I should admit. Uh, on the other hand, it's it's a you know as you visited. It was a lovely, very beautiful country with good food and good people and all these positive sides. What makes Turkey interesting in terms of geology is on the active plate interactions. So there's, I don't know, except a couple of, you know, a couple of names I remember now. Interesting place in New Zealand that sits on the plate boundaries and so Uh, Western United States is one of them, Western Canada. Turkey is on the, the Anatolian plate, namely, is on the conjunction of three major plates. You know, it's the Eurasian plate in the north, where Russia, Ukraine, all these platform old rocks uh, continents are in the north. And the Arabian plate, quite mobile, moving to the north with respect to that Eurasian plate. And the Anatolian plate, platelet, it's a small plate, is right there. And so Turkey is on that margin and that makes it exciting and living in turkey you're exposed to earthquakes volcanoes ore deposits and other uh, products of plate tectonics or geology so that makes us lovable uh, and, and we engaged with the geological activity as you've witnessed some of those when you guys came to turkey
1: yes i really i really remember the uh, walking um, along these old uh, volcanic mounds and seeing all this vor- volcanic rock around that, I mean, I would never get to really see here in, in Canada.
2: Yeah, well, that's another thing, you know. I I I, I tell my friends and people, and and that many people know how important the Turkish geology is for the world's community, specifically because you have nearly active volcanism, right? Well, the, the volcano that you visited, Dean, was at western Turkey, and that was active until twelve thousand years ago, which is a quite a uh, short time, considering the Earth's age of you know four point six billion years, and um, and and if if you're interested in active tectonics, earthquakes, yes, I mean any earthquake can happen now, and I can leave my room and kind of you guys will hear the voices of people screaming or the building shattered. Uh, these things happen, uh, but also other activities which we know in the past geological record, specifically. The, ancient mountain belts and ancient ocean basins, and remnants of these oceanic pieces, we call them ophiolites, are best seen in Turkey, except uh, Oman. So it is very true. Uh, It is a laboratory. It's a real laboratory to study the geology in Turkey, and that made us uh, quite engaged with, with with the job that we do.
0: You mentioned that there's a real possibility of, of earthquakes and there was a real like there was a recent earthquake in, in Turkey and in which you said that there was three plate boundaries. So along which of those plate boundaries did the earthquake happen and does it happen most often there?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks uh, very much. I mean, I uh, the, the earthquake that happened recently, you probably mentioned magnitude 7 earthquake that happened in the westernmost part of the Turkey uh, in close to the Aegean Sea, uh, which borders between Greece, mainland and Turkish, happened on an ancient city of Izmir. The ancient city of Greek name comes from Smyrna, an old beautiful uh, Greek woman's name, and has inherited the, today we call it Izmir, which you guys visited Izmir. You may remember these ancient... A city of Ephesus, which is very close by to Izmir, it was the capital of Ionia, capital of ancient Greece. Maybe. So the earthquake that happened 30th of October, uh, was the epicenter was on the offshore of Izmir, near the Greek islands of Samos, uh, And that, that wasn't on the plate boundary, unlike the east of Turkey, which two plate, but it was on the extensional systems, on an awful thing. Uh, which is produced by a subduction, oceanic subduction that presently happens on the southern boundary of uh, of Turkey. Uh, namely, it's the 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 south of Crete, the, the island of Crete. And due to that subduction, you you stretch the lithosphere on the back arc. We call it back arc extension, and and that's why you have these normal faults produce those earthquakes.
1: Yeah. So I was browsing through U of T's science programs the other day, and I just couldn't help but notice how. Old, most of those fields of studies are. Galileo first evidenced modern astronomy and really started experimental physics in 1610. Darwin first evidenced the theory of evolution, which are the foundations of modern biology and ecology, in 1858. Mendeleev uh, published the Periodic Table in 1869, and that was kind of a start for modern chemistry. Uh, The 1920s revolutionized particle physics and greatly expanded astronomy and chemistry. 1953, Watson and Crick completed their model of DNA's double helix, which was the foundations of modern genetics, really. But then it wasn't until the early 60s that enough corroborating evidences, largely from ocean mapping, swung the paradigm in geology toward the theory of plate tectonics, which is geology's own foundational theory. UFT's John Tuzo Wilson actually contributed key concepts to this theory with Transform Faults and the Wilson cycle being among them. So our foundational understanding of Earth and its history seems so new compared to the other sciences, and as such, there are a lot of details ripe for discovery awaiting ambitious new scientists. Earth science departments can hardly get enough grad students to pursue projects in need of proper attention. And today's paper is just one such example of the evolution of plate tectonic theory. So Sophia, could you uh, go through the paper with us?
0: So we're actually covering a paper today that comes from a collaboration between U of T and Istanbul Technical University. And we're super lucky because we have the primary author with us here today to discuss it. So we're really going to get into the details. And um, this paper essentially covers a continuation of the work that was, uh, I guess, really cemented by uh, John Tuzo Wilson, who had really contributed a lot to the theory of plate tectonics. The study that actually, well, the theory that all undergraduate students learn about in their first year undergraduate courses. So Oz, could you tell us what plate tectonics are and what drives them?
2: Yeah, and and I, I liked how Dean, how he, he made that introduction of the advancement in science and all these revelations came to uh, to the scientists, uh, to revelations, feelings and inspirations and motivations throughout the Renaissance. He started with a Renaissance man, namely Galileo Galilei, and afterwards all these very important people, including James Hutton, uh, including James Hutton, the father of geology, Isaac Newton, and so on. But yeah, in fact, I would just a quick note on the historical um, evolution of uh, idea in geology. The plate tectonics idea, what we know today, is really started with J. Tuzo Wilson, and he was from Toronto. And, and as a Toronto graduate, U T graduate, I feel very proud of with his presence, as well as all these people and different generation of scientists that produced by him. But I am, uh, in, in Turkey, I am uh, surrounded by a couple of colleagues who know the history of geology well, and they say Tuzo Wilson is the true discoverer of the plate tectonics theory which is no doubt although there's been contributions from other people but also i know history and i got into that the idea of plate tectonics in a different way has evolved uh, from ancient Greece in fact goes back to a couple of thousand years ago where people were were explaining the connection of uh, water entrainment by the rains and those rains were when they're extracted from the rocks that were earthquakes were produced so one thing i'd like to say the science, the modern geology has started uh, not with plate tectonics, James Hutton, but it has roots back into uh, very many philosophers slash they were uh, scientists. And for their time, including Aristotle, he made some quotations. Coming back to the idea of plate tectonics, I think what plate tectonics showed us uh, is uh, the plates are mobile. And that goes back to the continental drift hypothesis of Alfred Wegener. Uh, he's a meteorologist Uh the contribution, the major contribution and the skepticism of uh, non-mobile plates came from a meteorologist uh, in 1912. And, you know, he, he gave his life to search for the evidence of the continental drift hypothesis, uh, including the jigsaw puzzle of connection between South America and and Africa. But, but the interesting thing about plate tectonics showed that there are earthquakes along the major plate boundaries. So that's one important thing, contribution. And the other thing is, uh, the ocean basins are the oceanic lithosphere are produced in the in the middle of ocean ridges in the middle of oceans, and they were lost or they were subducted, uh, and and the new oceanic material are formed. Simply, that's recycling of the oceanic material has made us a revolutionary thinking of making that mass balance of the oceanic material, right? That's that's quite important, apart from the earthquake production. Arc, magnetism, volcanism, and so on. And that happens not just by coincidence, because our Earth is hot. We know that. And you go deeper, it's getting hotter. And from that thermal anomalies within the Earth, you produce these thermomechanical convection. Uh, a, a very simple way of producing thermomechanical convection is you boil water, uh, in, in your in your kitchen and you realize it gets fluffy and it gets um, it gets quite hot and you're, you're removing the heat from the material and the cold material sinks down where the hot material is being replacing that that, that, that area and that's a very simple way of explaining the convection so plate tectonic combine the production of uh, oceanic materials subduction earthquakes magnetism ore deposits and deep causes of this mobile uh, plate. But in every theory, I think that may be another question. So I may pose and sit a second. Every, every, like in every theory, there are questions that we cannot fit in exactly well, or we should be skeptical about where plate tectonics is. I wouldn't call it failing, but it wasn't fulfilling the exact positions or the entire theory doesn't stay up in the air.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to hear about that. But just before we move on, because you mentioned continental drift, and that's really interesting because I guess at first, continental drift was used by Charles Darwin to explain why we were seeing uh, different different animals on different continents. But I guess it was also used as evidence for plate tectonics?
2: It is. Yeah, it is tricky. I, the idea of plate tectonics... I mean, if you look at Tuzo Wilson's paper, I have it in front of me because I, I you know, I, I, when I got bored, I just read these things all uh the Tuzo wilson write this nature paper in 1966 and and you know many of his nature papers that he has a single authorship uh you know, quite bright man to pose his ideas it was the, the paper that i have linking with the continental drift hypothesis of wegener's it was says did the atlantic close and then reopen right and and that that tells us a lot about how Continents were together at once. it's Called the major continent called supercontinent called Pangea. and you know he was. I, I'm going to check this, but I think he does. He gave a reference to uh, Alfred Wegener's hypothesis. Right, he wasn't the uh, he wasn't the first person who came up with this idea. Although among those other people, uh, including Bullard, Teddy Bullard of Cambridge, and and so other ones, that he said that in fact. That was, I would call, the continental drift is the pioneering idea that was put by the plate tectonics uh, thinkers.
0: When I remember learning about plate tectonics in first year, we usually t- talk about active boundaries like collision zones, subduction zones, and rifting zones. So these are typically where we can see the crust responding to relative plate motions by either like building up a mountain, like the French Alps, for instance, or our famous Rocky Mountains in Canada, a trench like the Marianas, or like hydrothermal vents marking plate boundaries where hot magma is really close to the surface, like the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, for instance. But this paper is on a very specific part of the Earth uh, in central Anatolia or Turkey. So before we get into the specifics of your study, can you tell us a little bit about the tectonics of central Anatolia in the context of the paper and whether any of the boundaries that I mentioned are seen there?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, moving from plate tectonics, yeah, it was a nice uh, mentioning about you, uh, Sophia, that you said about continental collision, French alps, the entire... You know, you guys, you know, you mentioned about the Canadian geology, you know, Canadian Rockies, I think you mentioned that. The entire Western United States, the Cordillan orogenic system is quite important. That goes all the way to South America, all the way to Andes, which we're, you know, we're studying now. But what makes very unique about Anatolia, including the French Alps around the entire belt, is we call it Alpine Himalayan orogenic belt. So the French Alps, so we saw the Italian Alps, and all the way from Western Part of this continent, Pyrenees, northern Spain, and, and including the Apennines of Italy, Dinarides, Turkey, going from Iran, you know, Zagros Mountains, Pamir in uh, in Afghanistan, and you know, the the most famous mountain belt, Himalayas, the Tibetan Plateau, and all the way to New Guinea, is the entire Alpine-Himalayan orogenic belt, and uh, and that represents the closure of the Tethys Ocean the the neothetis ocean. When you close an ocean, this means that a new continent is formed and new continents collide and makes this huge mountain belt. We call this orogenesis. The Greek name comes from orogenesis, which means the the genesis of the mountains, the mountain building processes. The central Turkey example we came up with, Russ and other people and and colleagues, is is a unique one because it sits in the middle of that orogenic system and there's a subduction system along the island of Cyprus passing through in the south, but it doesn't seem to be showing much current deformation. So in some ways, this could be considered as a region where where the plate boundary effects are not majorly defining the current strain or deformation systems, right? Uh, You are along the plate boundary, you're nearby plate boundary, but you're still away from it. But you see very, very many activities, including volcanism and uplift, tectonic uplift, Uh, Away from it, so then you start to question what is really causing it. That was the main significant point in that paper, where we wanted to make sure uh, we explain these geological activities without the effects of the plate boundary, aka the plate tectonics systems.
0: This is a really interesting point you mentioned because yeah, we're used to learning about the boundaries as being the active zones, but this paper is. Uh, attacking a zone that is kind of far away, or at least relatively far away from a plane boundary, but is still very, very active geologically. So uh, getting into the details, uh, specifically your paper is on the central Anatolian plateau, which is topographically higher than the surrounding land. So you would maybe assume that there was, say, for example, a plate collision, but that's not what you figured. What you figured is that um, there was this phenomenon, which I, I actually don't know if this is like the first time that this phenomenon is being kind of brought to light or, or theorized at least, but it's called what you call it as drip tectonics. So can you tell us about what drip tectonics are and why they're different from what we typically think of as plate tectonics?
2: Yeah, you're getting into the you know it's a good discussion on big picture questions, right? We want to know about plate tectonics, and we want to know where plate tectonics may be failing. I, I avoid failing, but inexorably, I'd say there are things that we don't explain extremely well in plate tectonics, and and we we thought the drip tectonics is maybe considered as an alternative plate tectonics in the positions where the plate tectonics cannot fulfill and explain and. And, and pinpoint a special example and that's why we po- we said this in fact the drip tectonics idea I mean I, I, I wrote it in the title drip tectonics idea was not produced by us only uh, Canadian geologists working in uh, you know various parts of Canada including um, including the older orogenesis. So Canada has this older orogenesis, orogenic systems and they've mentioned about this drip tectonics people working in Australia mentioned about this drip tectonics. A uh, recent paper I saw, like subduction, they say dripduction, like not subduction, dripduction, sort of those terms. And those terms came because drip, dripping happens in certain parts of the Earth, and mostly the Archean geologists in Canada, Australia, and, and old European continent, Eurasian continent, came up with these names, including the Chinese cratons, because drip tectonics was probably the major tectonic event, or you call it phenomena, Sophia. Uh, before plate tectonics started. And, you know, this, would, I'm, I'm explaining to you the next paper that, you know, we're, we're writing up, but I, I keep the examine on one side because there are still things that we're still exploring to make the entire uh, puzzle in the right positions and in place. But our feeling suggests that drip tectonics was the major event, yes, and we still still see the examples of these dripping events today, including the Central Atollium was one of them. Mm-hmm. Chinese craton, which you don't expect any type of dripping event would occur under a stable craton, but it happened. Western United States, Wyoming craton is being dripping, and Andes is dripping, and, and you start to see, well, plate tectonics explain these well, but there are things that, just dripping things explains it well, like plume theory, right? You don't expect to see in the middle of an ocean hot spots that reproduce plumes, and and, and you have to say something about it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, but first, I, I kind of want you to go into. So you mentioned these these cratons, these stable cratons that exist in different places on Earth, and and there's a possibility of drip tectonics happening there. So, for my understanding, drip tectonics is, uh, I guess, an event that happens when there is a really thick craton underneath the 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 crust or I guess it's it's part of the crust so it's it's when a mountain builds up and then there's because the the lithosphere thickens there's this craton and then when it reaches a really high depth it then somehow changes the state of the rock so that it's no longer like a brittle rock that we would just imagine like picking up picking up from the road it then somehow drips almost like honey and drips down towards the mantle. And then that somehow by the buoyancy principle that raises the rest of the crust up. Is that kind of correct?
2: Uh, you're very close. Uh, it was one of the definitions we made in this paper about dripping like a honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope it wasn't too intimidating to use that honey example because nothing would drip like honey, right? You don't expect to see that so lower viscosity. It's part of my fault because uh, when that paper happened in. You know, it's relatively high-ranking journal. It's Nature Communications, and people were going after this. And we gave in the press, both in Turkey and Canada. And In Turkish uh, news, they say, oh, did you discover something important? I said, I think we got something important and some evidence, geodynamic evidence of something very important uh, in the middle of this country, like central Anatolia. And But what is that really important? I said, well, we, we found... Uh, that the continents may go through these drip phases. And we see that example in this country. And how could that drip? You know, people hardly imagine, as you said, people pick up a little piece of rock from the road or some some piece and you think that's brittle. How can a rock really melt? Or how can a rock can really drip as a viscous material? And you explain them, if you heat it up enough, right? If you expose them to really high temperatures and we know the temperatures at the deeper earth in beach discontinuities or further deeper lithospheric boundaries that can exceed 1300 degrees right um, and if you kind of convince people well it, it can happen really right basalt is melting we know when you have volcanism well can they drip yeah if, you, if they're huge pieces if they're if, if you have enough time for it that viscous deformation it can drip. Uh, people feel confused. But how that drip happened, people can't imagine. No, I said it's dripping like a honey. Wow, I like that honey example. And it's hard to avoid that
1: uh, honey example. So just to help me, because I actually haven't taken a tectonics course, like one ocean plate goes underneath the continental crust. It goes down underneath the thick continental crust, and it melts, and also kind of breaks up too, right? As opposed to this, where you have like this mountain, basically mountain above way up at reaching into the sky and a mountain reaching deep down into the mantle essentially. Right. And so is it just melting, um, the mountain below, is it just kind of melting or is there also kind of also like breaking off and causing like certain moments of increased buoyancy pressure pushing up, you know, with sudden releases of large chunks of the, of the mountain.
2: Um, uh- yeah, so you're you're basically questioning how these mountains go through rises like uplifts uh, on the buoyancy uh, part of the f- part of the physics. Yeah, one way of explaining is the drip. You remove the material, you remove the the heavy material beneath from the continents. It could be from cratons, and I'll come up to craton discussion a bit afterwards. You remove the material. You can do it by drip, or you can do it by breakoffs. Right when you break the pieces off, it can respond to you uh, by rapid rapid tectonic events but keep in mind these breakoffs drips are special because you see a signature geological signatures of those uh, in very rapid times in you know, a 1 million year 2 million years up to 10 million years those processes are rather very rapidly occurring in relative consideration of the earth's geological time scale uh, that's why we think, oh, there's a gravity playing a role in this. When you pull it off, you know, there's a very rapid response to it, a volcanism from that. And break off is the same way too. But you said, I just wanted to make a quick note on this. You said the oceanic lithosphere is subducting. We call it going underneath that going plate. And that is not melting. It, there's a little bit of a portion of it's melting. The slabs, we call them, slabs are melting. But the actual melt happens when there's a the water coming with these uh, oceanic material on the oceanic crust and important minerals, including amphiboles that they're releasing their water. They go through some dehydration processes and special type of melting happens because on the wedge, you reduce the melting temperature of those rocks and then you create this flux melting. Uh, so the process of melting is, is a complicated story by itself, the produ- production of the arc mechanism. I, I, I gave, you, gave you a very simple example of this. Uh, In that case, the central Anatolia, I'm going to tie this melting and arc magmatism story with this. It's relatively a bit away from plate boundaries, but there was an inherited zone of arc volcanism, right? There was an inherited... 80 million years old arc, magmatic arc. Back then in central Anatolia, so geologists discovered that by looking at the granitic rocks. Those granites are, are are the products of these subduction or the arc magmatism. And when you have granites, and when you, they date them and they look at their geochemistry, and they say, "Aha, uh-huh, there was an arc here, like magmatic arc, uh, uh, similar to what we have in." Western United States, Sierra Nevada, right? The highest con- highest uh, elevation in continental United States, 3,600 or something. And, and they say, oh, this is like Sierra Nevada. There was an arc system here. But what happens when you buckle an arc? When, what happens when you shorten an arc? Well, what happens when you fold an arc system? Yeah, when you say, then you can get some instability underneath it. And that instability poses a drip tectonics allowance in geological record. And that was our major hypothesis to put forward, why central Anatolian tectonics would drip, because there was an inherited zone of arc that could be dense. And when you folded it, we know it was folded by paleomagnetism and that get unstable.
0: So something that set off your radar to possibly the, the absence of, of crust uh, underneath the central Anatolian plateau, how did you even figure that? Like, how did you measure that there was this missing crust underneath the plateau?
2: I wouldn't call it a missing crust. There was a missing pieces of, I mean, we call the, when we call the lithosphere as the general rheological boundary on Earth, you know, we define it in Earth in two ways. One was petrological or compositional crust, mantle and, uh, and core. And in the other way, we call it by physical, rheological description, we call lithosphere asthenosphere by mainly the response of the Earth uh, to an applied stress. So portions of the lithosphere, including crustal portions, are being removed underneath central Turkey because an important signature came from deep seismic tomography, earthquakes. Uh, Geophysicists, right, these geophysicists do very interesting stuff, among other earth scientists. They explore the structure of the earth by measuring the velocities, seismic waves propagating within the earth. And they produce these images, we call them tomographic images, um, and from those images, they interpret or reinterpret their portions of in the within the earth that there are, are these earthquakes, seismic waves are penetrating really, really fast. In some parts, they're penetrating very slow and people. pretty So there was a subduction, there was missing roots and things. So in that case, in our case, in central Anatolia. An idea came by looking at this tomography. There are zones that are very slow anomalies, and then we said, oh, "Okay, well, the root is missing here. There's something is gone, and that's probably dripped uh, from
1: beneath Anatolia." A lot of this research involves modeling. What exactly? What kind of parameters are you kind of inputting into this? What are the major forces that you have to consider when you're trying to model what what is going on and what has happened? Uh, with with this system? Well, that's a
2: good question. Thanks, Dean. Uh, partly because I am sometimes cursed uh, because I'm doing models. Sometimes people like me because I'm doing models. So model modeling is a bit of a dilemma for among geology because modeling is relatively a new tool because we have advanced computational techniques, right? Uh, we can write codes. We can resolve important geological problems or develop understanding of the physics of these earth-like subduction-like processes, including melting through the models. It's a useful tool, but it's not everything. Uh, it's, it's, it, it should be clarified. And I, I'm writing a paper now for, for some local journals. I said all models are wrong, but you can take advantage of some of them, including the models of any tectonics, because, because it is clearly wrong. I mean, we can't get 100% of the picture. Uh, we got we got from the models. That kind of tells you the philosophy of this. We got some first-mortar major idea about models. I work with geologists. My background, you guys asked me about my background, my background is field geology. Until I came to Toronto, worked with Ross Pisklevitz in 2004. He came from a geology slash physics, geophysics background. He taught me how to think from a perspective connecting these geology and the physics of the processes, uh, a geophysical processes evolution. So And there were times that I wasn't really understanding because he was saying, look, there's deep lithospheric structures doing this and that. And I said, well, we don't see them in field geology. So does that mean that it doesn't really happen? Because field geologists would like to make their story by only looking at the rocks and cross sections and and linking them with some hypothetical
1: models. That sounds very similar to what got people hung up when they were trying to prove continental drift and plate tectonics is so many people are just like look at the actual rocks that's what our evidence is and you're telling us
2: (laughs) yeah yeah It, it really yeah it's a good point it's it's it depends on the scale of the things that you're looking at although these guys were looking at larger scale but on the other hand it's important to know from the dynamical evolution background and it's important to link with this all other available disciplines what does it tell us and that's something you know, again, I'll, I'll refer Russ and the people that I work with afterwards, including Greg Hausman at University of Leeds in the UK. I did my postdoc with them, and I did short postdocs with uh, a, a professor Claudio Facena from from Italy. Now he's a professor both in Rome and University of Texas at Austin. Uh, and follow up with the graduates I work with. I enjoy working with them and stuff. Uh, I learned how linking with these ideas. Field geology is essentially important. I mean, you can't avoid field geology, and that. You can't replace field geology because that's how you look at rocks. Meanwhile, I think field geology should complement the tests, the actual physical tests of what you hypothetically come up with. And I think that was lacking. And I think in Central Anatolia, example and other parts of Turkish geology that Russ and I worked in and colleagues and people does modeling uh, fill that gap.
0: Right. The geologic model is as good as what you see in the field, essentially. You can't just put it random parameters and be like, okay, this works. It has to be checked,
2: right? It, it has to be checked. And the observations you made in the field, and you guys came to Turkey, you make some of these observations on different types of turkey shocks. I remember I, I have a picture of two of you, at least. I remember I was coming up with some ideas of how metamorphism worked in the menderes Matif metamorphic core complex of Western Turkey, and, and we were looking at these metamorphic rocks. It was, I think, nice and schists. But now we're modeling how those old rocks are deep rocks, right? You expect to see those metamorphic rocks in the very deeper part of the crust. Namely, it could be 20, 25 kilometers, because they need to be exposed to high temperature and pressure. But somehow they came up on the surface, right? Then Sophia and Dean come to Turkey and see them. Uh, but what is the process behind it? And we're modeling, right? We're testing different parameter space, different extension rates different rheological constraint. The word rheology is, is, is so significant. Material scientists know that rheology, earth scientists should know about rheology, viscosity, brutal deformation. All these things are complicated processes and, and models can give you some sense of how to test them.
0: Have there been any other models then that propose a different mechanism in the Central Anatolian Plateau, like the uplift of it?
2: Yes, yes, there are, there are, yeah. An important aspect of science, or in general uh, approximations of these uh, models and the processes, is to know what people have done. I tell my students every day, and that some of them are quite enthusiastic ones. Right, they come up to my office and say, "I mean, not these days. I don't, I don't meet them so often because of you know obvious reasons." But, but we do Zoom meetings frequently and so on. They say, "Look, I, there's, this is so interesting. I mean, I, I have so interesting idea, and I, I came up with." You know, let's say the oceanic subduction happens. Oh, yeah. Well, good morning. I mean, people said this before, right? I mean, some of these things are really important. But important aspect of science, and I I tell this to friends and students every day, knowing the literature, what people said, being very um, confident about the study that has been done in the region. Uh, And I tell them, it's the 50% of your research. You do a good research review. You do a good literature review to see what people have done. Then you can base your work Upon that foundation, and to back, answer back, uh, Sophia. People, yeah, people came up with different hypotheses, and specifically, we discussed that. You know, writing this important paper, we discussed that that specific hypothesis cannot explain it. Therefore, we call it drip tectonics. Explain. Uh, one was one was close to what Dean mentioned about. You know, you have a portions of the subduction happens and break off subduction people said oh subduction break off makes this mountain high up right and we said that's not enough because the central Anatolia is a large region and the break-off can only affect relatively small margins of continents of maybe 100 150 kilometers wide but central Anatolia has been uplifting in a wider region therefore Other mechanisms should be produced. And we said drip tectonics can't explain this.
0: So if I'm understanding correctly, the main kind of the the theory that was the closest to to getting it right, but still had some shortcomings, was that there was a subduction plate that was breaking off, which was causing the uplift, right?
2: Yes. Well, the subduction happens relatively, you know, not not close, a bit far, but portions of the subducting plate is broken off. And people suggest, as Dean was saying, when you break it off, there's a the buoyancy and the dynamic forces will will, uh, will increase the elevation of it. But then we said, I mean, that's that's not as extensive as to explain the outflow of the entire Anatolia. There needs to be another mechanisms for it. And then we came up with this hypothesis.
0: So you said that continental drip happens on relatively short geologic timescales like one to two million years so then is this drip tectonic uh, phenomenon unique in central Anatolia or is this possibly happening right now in other areas of the world where the mountains where mountains have really deep roots
2: Yes and that's again at current day my research. I mean you got you stole my proposal ideas now and I feel like I <laughs> Do
0: I get part of the credit then?
2: Oh yeah you do. Yes you do.
1: You're going to start seeing honey everywhere all over the world.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. Exactly. You know, I, I got called as a honeyman because I said this honey example. You know, honeyman. I, I said, "Why well, people call me?" all I realized that's a honeyman. I'm like, Imagine a honeyman walking around the campus; students are calling. I remember this honeyman. <laughs> oh, you remember you talked about these rocks are dripping like honey. Uh, it is funny, right? It, it is quite funny how we're uh, linking some processes with to make it uh, understandable. And I know I told my students about it. And Russ, when he was teaching in class, and other fellows I know, they give examples of of different things that people keep that in mind. Uh, now, today, the geological community do not hesitate to publish papers. They say, is Earth behaving like jelly sandwich versus creme brulee? There are papers on this, like scientific papers, because because that jelly sandwich has the relative significance of lower cross-week. And creme brulee has strong upper crust, and where the mantle is weak. What is what is the uh, the, the Central Anatolia example? And we said the um, today it happens in other places. I think it happens in the Andes. We know various examples from geology. Uh, Professor Lindsay Schoenbaum, uh, from University of Toronto, you may know her well. Uh, she's been doing in herself and students uh, important studies on various parts of Andes, including Argentina and and other places. They've been suggesting this grip tectonics or lithospheric dripping hypothesis. And, and and geochemists working in Sperry province in Canada, they suggested this happened in various times in Canada. Uh, Canadian geology, the drip tectonics happened. It is important to look for those, right? And if you have the correct eye to see something and you see it, it's worthwhile to look at it. So does
0: that mean that mountains are just going to keep getting higher?
2: Uh, well, that's another good question. It depends where you're looking at. It depends which stage of these drip tectonics happen. Initially, those drips happen by depression because that drip material, due to that gravitational effects, is pulling down the surface. And what people in the Andes uh, suggest this is pulling down the surface and create these surface basins. When you're pulling off that route, it just responds to them as an uplift. So it varies on which phases of these drips these continents are going through.
0: So for anyone who's trying to climb Mount Everest, you better do it now.
2: it may, be, uh, it may go to up and down. Now people suggest it's for Himalayas, these instability hypothesis. yes.
1: Uh, are there any other big questions still unanswered or or not properly explained uh, in the current plate tectonic paradigm? Are there any big gaps that you can think of? Uh,
2: I think one of these important ones, and I think it's important uh, how we approach it, uh, plate tectonics explain, well, the, um, the earthquakes along the plate boundaries, what well, we see earthquakes, not in plate boundaries. Central Anatolia is not that on the plate boundary, but it is close enough. So, or, or may not, like there are earthquakes. But so, is it, for example, in, in Missouri, the new Madrid seismic zone, that's one of them. I forgot 18-something that earthquake happened. Uh, it's relative in higher magnitude. It's not on the plate boundary, but it was in a former plate boundary that still produces earthquake. And there's a branch of earth sciences, that is called intraplate earthquakes. So in the middle of continents, you see these earthquakes, which plate tectonics cannot explain. Therefore, we should look at why continents are behaving very... I I called my students and I said, you know, oceans are are like uh, someone they know really well. And that's the like oceans, you know, you don't expect any anomalous features of oceans, they subduct, you know, they got recycled, they're clean, they know what they're doing, at some point, but the continents are weird, they react differently, they, they somehow weak lower crust, you know, but they, they may not have that. And imagine the continents are, are way older, right? 4.6 billion years old, the oceans are quite young, and again, they know what they're doing. Um, so anything that happens over the continents, including drip tectonics, or the plumes that that happens, or the destruction of cratons. So the North China craton is one really good example how the continents are destroyed, right? You don't need them to be destroyed. These are strong continents, but they they go through these phases. So that's one unanswered question, an important unanswered question of plate tectonics.
0: By the way, to our listeners, if you're interested in listening about uh, seismicity in the center of continents, like Oz mentioned, you can go to our induced seismicity fracking episode. Because that was a really interesting episode where we talked specifically about the dangers of uh, earthquakes because of fracking, which, again, happened in the center of continents, not really explained by plate tectonics, like Oz said. So I think we're uh, we're ready to move on to the ending questions part. So Oz, thank you so much for being our guest and 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 explaining this really kind of tough to understand theory at first, but you really did a good job at explaining it. So thank you. So now let's move on to the even more challenging questions. <laughs> if you weren't an Earth scientist, who would you be?
2: If I if I wasn't an Earth scientist, who would I be? You know, I shouldn't say this, but I probably have been. Joe Biden. <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah. I don't know, maybe. I mean, it's. I think, I think you know, one thing I wanted to mention to you guys is uh, you realize in time, you know, we avoid politics. It's all these arguments and we have all our views. But I realize at some point we all have to enter in politics in a different ways to make sure that our voice is to be heard, you know, be vocal about what we said, you know, not avoid conflict, but avoid destroying debates, but just to make sure that people understand each other. And and I'm hoping uh, in a future world, we, we would have good politicians that they have good engagement with the scientists from different levels and backgrounds. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would have been someone that would keep and look for a common ground between politics
1: and science. If you could solve one scientific mystery that really interests you, whether it's in earth sciences or another field, what would it be?
2: Yeah, I think world peace is more important now than going for different planets, to be honest. I, I, I have I have a lot of doubts, especially these times of days that we're going through these serious phases of poverty and other problems. There are a lot of mysteries that you wanted to resolve them for enjoyment. And, and people should be encouraged, especially young people like yourselves. And But uh, the major mystery I have in my mind is how we don't understand each other although we speak same language or we don't speak same language that's an important mystery i have would probably be, you know covid is is an important one i think hopefully that will resolve that problem but but i think brain structures and non communication among people is an important one and we need good communicators to understand each other
0: yeah that's a really that's a really interesting answer i haven't heard that one before but yeah it's it's very important and part of, I mean, science communication is just to, like, have clear communication between scientists and policymakers so that a good, coherent plan can be made and executed.
2: Yeah, that career plan is maybe there, but who's going to do it is lacking and people don't want to take that responsibility. Maybe young people, you guys are a different generation of people, will do it. Uh, I'd, we'd like to be hopeful and we'd like to be wishful that things will get better. But someone will have to do the job and we should always take these responsibilities before we think of big picture or, you know, other problems, you know, that communication is key. And I, I'm afraid we're sometimes lacking out that communication among us.
0: Yeah, Dean has a really good quote from John Tuzo Wilson, actually very topical for this episode uh, that kind of touches on that.
1: Yeah, so this is kind of a summary he gave on on the plate tectonics development. So it's a little bit longer than usual. Um, All right, so here's the quote. Looking back, the whole story makes one very humble. Unfortunately, no one saw the whole scheme. Dozens of people, far more than I have been able to mention, all contributed tiny little pieces to the story. Pieces which we all had to drag out of our minds with the greatest difficulty. For a long time, I shut my eyes to new evidence and followed the pack in condemning continental drift. I had met many of the key figures... I had been in the leading institutions, I had every opportunity to have seen and published the whole story, but I flubbed it, and I only contributed a few fragments. Although some of my colleagues contributed more than others, none of us really came out of it very well. Jeffreys, who was as bright as any, still in his 80s opposes the whole revolution. It all makes me wonder whether human beings, even the best-trained scientists, Are capable of recognizing and defining the really big problems that confront the human race or of doing much to solve them if scientists who have been trained to think as logically and dispassionately as humans can have difficulty in recognizing and solving problems what hope have we to convince all of mankind to to recognize and correct its follies and that's from his lecture in the 1975 Massey lectures it really, I think it really speaks to the fallibility of people. And despite his kind of uh, pessimism on that, I think the shining example here is as a community, as a group of people, we're able to do things that a single person can't do on their own, could never do on their own. They can't conceptualize this big picture on their own, but together, like as a scientific community, uh, a global scientific community, we're able to to contribute these little pieces and and become Greater than the sum of their parts,
2: right? I mean, I, I'm glad that I said I said things kind of as if I have been talking to Jay Tuzo Wilson. He's probably uh, flipping in his grave now. I, I said good things about him, but I kind of, you know, the things I said is about communicating and people and and, and understanding each other is coming along with, uh, with uh, what what Tuzo Wilson said. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I realize it's 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 an essential thing to, to do.
1: And he's also being humble here, I'm sure. <laughs> he did more yeah. than just a few little pieces. Yeah,
2: I've I I heard different things about Wilson. I, I know a person here that you knows Wilson well. He, was, he claims that he's a good friend of Wilson, And I heard that he wasn't the most humble person on, on Earth. But that's okay. I mean, you're the true discoverer of play tectonics. You don't have to be that humble, I understand. But he statements are quite humble, I understand. Uh, and that's, cap- that's okay to have the constructive use and com- you know, good communication and constructive uh criticisms i mean we need that but we take it sometimes too pr- I, I do that myself too you know and, and these big scientists like these famous people i'm sure they go through these spaces insecurities you know absences and stresses and like uh you know we're like piano players that when people says you don't play well and you, you feel upset and and maybe that's how it improves i don't know
0: Well, thank you so much, Oz, for sharing your knowledge with us and going so many different directions in our conversation. I feel like we touched on a lot of really important themes, including uh, writing papers, doing research, plate tectonics, geology, everything. So it was really, really awesome to have you on the show.
1: Well, thank you to you and Dean. And uh, thank you to our listeners. We hope to have you tune in next time for a brand new episode of Earth News Interviews. Until then, leave no stone unturned.
0: Earth News Interviews is brought to you by the Department of Earth Sciences at U of T. The views expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the university.